0: here to talk to you about something that is close to my heart my name is leonore Tegatil, and i want to conquer the world give all the idiots a brand new religion um, <laughs> that is a lyric from bad religion which is one of my favorite 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 bands anybody out there like bad religion yeah. Yeah. Uh, when i was growing up i didn't have any christian music i didn't know of christian punk rock music certainly so i would change bad religion lyrics Like, um, I'll believe in God when they say one and one are five, but I'd say two and three are five. And I would change all the words so that I could worship to something that I felt really drawn to. Punk rock, and that was another anthem. I want to conquer the world, give all the idiots a brand new religion. We'll have peace on earth and global communion. And they're kind of mocking it, but I was really meaning it. I really meant it in my heart, and I still do. So bad religion, are they good? I think so. Are they offensive? You bet. Are they transformative in my Christian thought? You bet. And something is to be said for the way I experience a song. How many people would say you experience God through music in a way that is so much deeper than anything else in any other way that you experience God? Any people here? Yeah, for me too. For some reason, God has chosen music to speak to me so strongly. And me and Mike sometimes argue about this, but I say a song can do for me what a sermon just can never touch. Something, I wish I could just sing the sermon, in fact, but I'm not a singer, so, you know. Um, but why is it? That's what I've been thinking about. Why is it that I can experience G-O-D, God, in a Pedro the Lion song, or a video, or um, being at a show, or just even classical music or a lullaby my grandma would sing. Why can I experience God there in such a beautiful way? What is it about music that stirs my soul? And, and how does, does music have that power over us? It's just, it's just a sound, sound waves being created out of nothing, out of mere, mere instruments played by fallen humans. And it's not even stuff. You can't even hold a song. Pretty much when civilizations die out and when our CDs and everything fall to dust and are in the landfills, it won't exist anyway. But why does it feel so holy? And have you noticed also that visual art affects us? Maybe it affects you. It does affect me. When you go to an art gallery or you go in someone's home and you see a piece, and it's like, oh, that really rocks me. Or a depiction of war. Or a Maria Gonzalez or Matt Jurgensen contemplative beautiful, beautiful, stark, minimalist piece that is just pristine and perfect. Why is that beautiful, and why does it affect me spiritually? And what about whimsical art? The other day I saw a stop sign wearing a scarf. It was awesome. It was kind of funny. Someone took the time downtown, not very far from here, to knit a scarf for a stop sign. And Inez, my little three-year-old daughter, said, Oh, it won't get cold. And my kids also, they laughed their heads off when we drive by the big blue bear. Just kind of looking at it, dying and waiting and hoping it's going to move and look back at you. Or the naked dancing aliens. Our family loves the naked dancing aliens. Right? It's making you laugh now. Something happens about art. Do we value art? Yes. That's not the question. Do we know we value art? Well, I think we can say by the amount of dollars we spend on art that we do value it i think we vote for art every single day whether it's clothes um, or the picture picture on the back of a magic card or a sitcom that we're watching or a movie we go and see or a show we know that art matters in our society we know that our lives are better for it and tonight what i want to talk to you about is not the value of art because i think we agree but rather it is the value we place on the artist Some reason, for some reason, and I don't know what, there's a disconnect between seeing art is valuable and seeing an artist is valuable. So many of us have gotten mixed messages all of our lives about taking that jump, taking that plunge, accepting that call, and feeling fully realized as an artist and what does it mean. So we're going to explore that tonight, and I want to say that I think that the Bible does have a lot to say on this subject. So if you'd pray for me and pray with me, then I'll jump in. God, thank you so much, Lord, for tonight, for every person here. Thank you, Father God, for the the blessing of art that you have given us. Thank you that you care about beauty. Thank you that you made a beautiful world, that you made beautiful people. And thank you that you put it in our hearts to create. I pray that everybody would be blessed in some way by this sermon. Amen. All right, so the verse we're going to be using tonight... Is in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, you can read above me. Exodus 31 1 through 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Here we see an individual, an artist named Bezalel, and his name means under the shadow and protection of God. What a beautiful name for an artist, under the shadow and the protection of God. And he is called by God to do something. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we see people filled with the Holy Spirit, it means there's a specific task for that person. And this specific person with a specific task is going to create something for God. He's going to be commissioned. I think it's awesome also that he's filled with the Holy Spirit because oftentimes artists need to produce something out of nothing that they see and feel and experience. And maybe he's looking outside to get a vibe, but maybe he's also going within and using the Holy Spirit to create what he's going to come up with. He's filled with understanding, wisdom, and knowledge. And in Hebrew, the understanding and the knowledge would have meant of God, wisdom of in God, understanding of God, knowledge of God. So this artist is exemplified for having godly character. That's very important to think of. Okay, so he's filled with the Holy Spirit, under the protection of God, has wisdom, has knowledge. That should be enough, right? To do this thing? Not entirely And I love this. The Bible records that Bezalel was filled with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs. And what does that mean in Hebrew, artistic designs? It means thoughts of thoughts using your imagination, using your imagination to create something. It didn't quite use the word artistic designs in the Hebrew. Thinking thoughts artistically for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and engage in all crafts. He had to be developed in his skills. Yes, he was called, and yes, he had a godly character, but he was also developed in his skills. And there's a lot to be said on this. How many people think that it's important, if we're going to make art as Christians, it needs to be good art? Yeah, right? It needs to be the best art. It needs to be awesome. It doesn't have to be pretty and positive, encouraging. We were talking about positive, encouraging case gum. That doesn't exist. But... It has to be honest. The artist is called to be honest, whether it's ugly, but it's real. We're called to have an integrity in that and a development of that. And so he is developed. In fact, he's a craftsperson who can work in all kinds of mediums. He knows his skills in and out. I think also for the artist, I don't know what you think about this. I think it takes humility for an artist to say, I am not developed. I need to be developed. Either I need to go to school or I need to become more accomplished before I should show my art or before my band is ready to go out there. He understood that he needed to have an integrity in this, and I think that we also should. And it also takes a self-awareness. Uh, skunk of the Earth used to have an art gallery a few blocks from here on 11th, and we had it for two years. And one of the things that was interesting about a lot of artists, and I, would, I was blessed enough to curate, and the reason I kind of fell into that position is a lot of people who are visual artists say, oh, I don't know, just put a price on it. I don't know, I don't know. And and their piece would be worth a lot more than they would want to ask for it. They wouldn't feel comfortable putting themselves out there. But you know what? If it's worth it, it's worth it. And I think that a self-awareness and a self-esteem and almost an audacity, this is my art and it is good. You see those price tags? Is it worth it? The number reflects the value we give it. Why do we think that, you know, we should only get as artists five bucks an hour for something that took a long time to create, that has a lot of value, and that we're pouring ourselves into? Um, So I think it's important that there is an integrity in the creation of the gift. But I think many times, and this is what I'm going to talk about tonight, there's a disconnect. We recognize there are obstacles. There's going to be time in developing a gift. There's going to be resources that come with developing a gift. And we get overwhelmed I think even if we look at art, something that's going to be in the landfill down the road, something people aren't going to remember, a blip on the map of music, a blip on the map of visual art. But if we think of it as having eternal perspective, we will recognize that it is more valuable than we can comprehend. What if your piece stirs someone so that they see God reflected? What if your band helps remind someone that they're not utter crap and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel? What if you just give someone who's having a bad day a lot of happiness? Or what if you sing the blues and someone can vent in a healthy way with you? If we have an eternal perspective about our art, it'll make us think it's more valuable. We'll understand that it really is there to touch people, to speak to people, to interfere, to even a, you know, a scarf on a stop sign. I needed that that day. I needed that. Thanks, whoever did that. I know you went to scum probably, right? (laughs) And when we recognize that art has an eternal perspective, we also recognize that it is not from us. Man, it would be cool to say that this talent is from me, whatever talent it is, or that whatever talent you have is from you. I'm sorry to bust your bubble, but the talent's from God, so let's develop them and offer them back to him. Can art be a calling? Absolutely. Is art valuable? Absolutely. But is the artist the most valuable thing to God? Most absolutely. So, Moses, we see the spiritual leader of Basil, El, and how does he respond to God's commissioning Basil? El? Exodus 36, verse 3 and verse 7. They, the artist, received from Moses all the contributions which the Son of Israel had brought to perform the work in the constructions of the sanctuary. For the material they had was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to perform it. Is the message one behind me? Yeah, that one. Can you imagine? The spiritual leader speaks and shares the vision on behalf of the artist, and the community is stirred and responds, and more than enough is given. I have to read the way the message puts it. It's crazy. All the artisans who were at work making everything involved in, in constructing the sanctuary came one after another to Moses, saying, The people are bringing more than enough for doing this work that God has commanded us to do. So Moses sent out orders saying, Men, women, no more offerings for the building of the sanctuary. Really, donors, no. Scum of the earth can't take any more money. We're capped. Can you imagine? I can't imagine a time when we would say to our donors, Thank you so much for those blessings, but we're good. We're good. We have all that we need. Moses called for resources. He shares this vision, and it's not just a little bit of resources. We're talking the finest of things. These are the precious goods that the people had cared for and brought out of Egypt and into the desert. They needed like a half a ton of gold, some silver, tons of silver, wood, fabrics, people's most precious thing you know sometimes people have a dining room in their house or no it's more like i don't know i didn't have a house like this but it's a living room that nobody goes in with all the fancy things and you don't sit and you don't touch that would have been those rooms for the people the look what we care about in our house oh we're gonna all donate those rooms and make something cool that we're all gonna get dirty and use that sounds good to me they saw the vision that it would be more important to have something a sanctuary that they could use together rather than Each have a little something in their house. I also think in terms of the churches today, what it would be like if our spiritual leadership would speak on behalf of the artist and on the vision. What kind of healing could happen? What kind of healing would happen for the artist? And when I say what kind of healing, it implies that the artist is in some way hurt or unrecognized. We uh we went through this particular scripture with a group of us, about 10 of us at Scum of the Earth. We had a little Bible study. And I want to tell you that it was an emotional meeting that, that night because a lot of people had felt that we asked the question, how is your church doing with the arts? And they said, Scum of the Earth is doing okay. They have a little arts program. We had a gallery. Um, Mike has commissioned art. We keep it going. We have a little budget, tiny, but it's there. Um, but they said sometimes it feels like, Churches bring us out for Easter, for the pageant or the pageantry, or for Christmas. And then the rest of the year, we don't really know what to do. We have these gifts that are being unused. And it's not like the churches were being mean or mocking them, but it wasn't like they knew how to be involved. And I think that was really difficult. And not only that, but sometimes there's a mixed message of how we want to use people. Yeah, you can paint the mural in the Sunday school room, but it has to be the way we exactly want it. Um, That's pretty much all we have for the artist to do. I think that's frustrating because in biblical times, the artist really was on a pedestal in some ways. There really was a lot to do, a lot of commissioning of craftspeople. And these days in our jobs, we don't get to use our craft's work. We don't get to express ourselves creatively that way. And it can be frustrating, especially if you are of a creative bent. And again, people can be called to a life of creativity. Creativity. And not just visual artists, but chefs, musicians, film producers, and dancers. There's a quote that I want to share um, from Frederick Buchner, And he wrote a book called Listening to Your Life. And I even like that phrase, listening to your life. But he wrote, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And it's a little abstract at times because we get to carve out to some degree what we want to bless people with. What aspect of our creativity? What aspect of our goodness? What aspect do we want to partner with Jesus in saying God is good and we want to change things up? For me, um, when I think of My deep gladness back in the day, I used to be in a band, and I'm sorry to mention this, but this is why I get to talk about this, because this is my passion. It was on stage performing. My deep gladness would be to just rock out with beautiful people in the beautiful world. And now things have changed, so I have to create this new. What is my deep gladness now? And it is being here on Sundays with you. My deep gladness is being here, sharing meals, crafting these sermons learning about jesus but what are our deep gladnesses and what does the world need what do we each have to offer and then when i think about that i recognize that there are a lot of obstacles for all of us no matter what our deep gladness is no matter what our calling is um, there's obstacles and it's sad because i think a lot of the obstacles are ingrained in us because of lies and the first one i want to talk about is seeing seeing the value in the call or believing the call? What if our deep gladness is not on the high scale of what pays the bills? Uh Uh-oh. I don't think any of you can relate to this. I should probably, you know, skip this part. (laughs) Or what if as a child you're told over and over and over again that the arts are just something to dabble in, to play in, um, but it's not, you know, you gotta get a real job. That's not really what God made you for. That's just for playtime. Or what if a spouse tells you You should put away your instrument and hang out with the kids more, and you probably don't want to go to shows or be in a band because that's going to take a lot of time away from me and the kids. And I'm kind of jealous and not ready for that. When we dig into the Word, we see examples of people being creative and of it being valued. Musicians pave the way for celebration, for worship. There are dancers, there are poets who lament and cry and record the deepest of anguish throughout the Bible. But a lot of times people who love us and people who love me have sadly and not on purpose, but sometimes sadly convinced us that our attributes are our faults. Have you ever been convinced that your attribute is your fault, that that thing you piddle around with is not really valuable? Um, I've met brothers and sisters at Scum of the Earth even who have said sadly that they have internalized some of these messages They've received these messages and they hear that cannot and if it is it should not be who you are And if it is who you are, you should probably stop because that's a big waste Living that kind of lifestyle or having that kind of dream or those kind of expectations for god (sighs) How can we put god in a box of what he longs to do with us and yet we do it to ourselves all the time for me the biggest obstacle and this is horrible to admit, because, especially because I raise support, but the biggest one is resources. I grew up in a family where, you know, by golly, and there's nothing wrong with this, but by golly, you should have a plan for your retirement. You should have a plan for your benefits. And uh, your identity doesn't need to be so close and so tied in with your job. And for some of us, that's okay, and for some of us, it's not. But it was a struggle It was a struggle for many years and it was a struggle when in 1998, a bunch of us had a meeting about, are we going to quit going to college? Are we going to quit our jobs? Oh man, I worked at Baskin Robbins or Safeway or something at the time. Am I going to quit that and tour with Five Iron Frenzy and tell the world about Jesus? And my dad said, if you quit school, I'm not going to pay for school for you again. But the call, oh man, that's why I'm so passionate about that call was so strong that it didn't matter. It was going to take everything, and I wanted to do that, and God did bless me, and he blessed me enough so that later, thank you, God, so that later I could pay for my college myself out of the money that I made in that. It's pretty cool, but resources are really difficult, and it's still difficult. I'm not saying that I learned it then, because obviously I didn't. Just recently, my husband wanted to, uh, well, about a year ago or two, I don't know, he wanted to, um, stop working at different random coffee shops and crock warehouses and working for other people and start his own small screen printing business in our garage and in our basement. And I was kind of freaked out. It was really hard for me because I knew there would be months where we didn't get paid. I knew there'd be months where I would have to work more than I wanted to with two little kids. I knew that we'd have to dip into savings and it's just not, not job security, but then again, what is right? And I have this husband that keeps telling me, I love an invisible God. Everything else is just icing on the cake. And it was a big stretch for me, but it's been awesome. And now God is blessing his business. And it's always difficult, but it's always awesome to watch God bless him and for me to get out of the way and to trust God with my husband's vision. I can become numbed and paralyzed very easily by the lies I believe. Sometimes I do believe that the past was the best time of my life. And that is definitely a lie. We aren't promised what tomorrow is going to look like, but it just keeps getting better in so many ways. I have a job to do in this. If I care about music so much, like I say, why don't I make it happen? If I care so much about different things, I should be making time. And, of course, that is my uh, next point, right? Time. Time. How many people would say that time gets in the way of you following your call? I'm going to have one person come up here later tonight that's going to talk about education. Education is time. It takes a lot of time. If you want to 180 your career or if you want to start a program that's going to produce fruit 20 years down the road, especially because we're young, do we think like that 20 years down the road? I think I want to invest today for something. I'll see the fruit in 20 years down the road. That'll be cool. I'm patient. That is so hard. Finding time is hard for artists, right? But it's hard for businessmen. It's hard for parents. It's hard for pastors and parents. And it's especially hard for those who need um, a blank canvas, a blank slate to create. Artists can't always transition. You can't always get off of work where you're, you know, taking orders all day and then suddenly start painting with this fury and this energy. You need some transition downtime to just empty yourself and just calm yourself and be with the Lord before you can be inspired even to create. It's hard to not put time and resources and all of our fears on a pedestal. And it's hard to answer our callings. But this message isn't just for artists. Some of us long to do things, like I said, like go back to school, like start programs for the homeless. Some of us want to be brain surgeons and get our PhDs. Mike asked us at a staff meeting recently what it is for his staff that keeps us from pursuing our callings completely. And a lot of us said risk. There's a risk involved. And boy Jesse with four kids pointed this out. It's not just a sacrifice on part of him, but on part of his family. And I was reminded of Moses going through the wilderness, and his family had to endure that too. And we feel guilt sometimes when we're called to do something that is difficult. Ben Mercer was talking about a family of, or a husband and wife that were called to be missionaries in Brazil, and their kids were in boarding school. And yet the kids are grown today and love the Lord. What faith. What faith is that to answer that calling? That one really puts me to shame. That's a hard one. Even watching Mike Sayers for me has, has opened up the door in my ministry to say, what is worth the sacrifice and what isn't. It's a hard balance to find the balance between family and ministry. I think there's always a cost when you're in ministry, and I think there's always a cost when you're a Christian. Even when you have jobs where they're not ministry, there's a cost you pay for being a Christian at your workplace. There's a family that I love, and this family does not believe that your vocation and your calling have to be one and the same. For whatever whatever reason, they don't equate vocation to identity. They don't seek out their callings. They don't put much thought into it. They just find a job based on where they live, how far they want to travel, benefits, retirement, and do a good job. And that is my family. And I'm proud of them. My dad sells stamps. And he's a goofy little happy guy that kind of looks like Cheech. And he can talk really bad Spanish. And you know, you've been in the in the line at the post office, and in Fort Collins, there's only two guys that sell stamps all day long, and people get pissy. And he's Mr. Happy Cheech guy. And everyone's happy when they come in there because of my dad. Do I think he's answering his calling? Yeah, totally. And my grandpa, who was a mechanic for so many years, gets a little twinkle in his eye when he talks about how many cars he could fix or picking up tr- drunks in his tow truck and not telling their wives he's happy. He found his calling for life. He was stoked. And my mom, she chose later in her life, after working many, many, many years in social work and in the school system, that she would rather clean houses at 30 bucks an hour for terminally ill and elderly people than use her brain at her job. And I have to hand it to her because she is a blessing to those people who can't clean their homes. And it's humble, and it's a good job, and she does it And I also want to say there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working an in-between job to get to where you feel called to. Or if you don't, you just lead a happy life and glorify the Lord in that. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 13 says, and this reminds me of scum. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, dear friends, to do so more and more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. In Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't think there's anything wrong with having a season where you seek out God in different ways, but I do think that we need to be careful. We need to be careful, especially in in my position right now as a parent, to not put all of my talents and gifts and dreams on a shelf and say, those are too lofty while I'm a mom. What a drag for my kids to see me and say, oh, well, I used to do this, but I can't because I got kids. What a drag. What a sad example. And a lot of us, we saw our parents just work and work and work. For what? For retirement. So then they're too old to enjoyment. It's it's not worth it. It's not worth it for me. It's not worth it to have an implied guilt. I can enjoy what little I can enjoy with them. I want to truly live so my kids can see it. And I want to see you guys truly live, because I'll be bummed if you don't. I'm going to have three people speak after I'm done, but I wanted to give you a little list of reasons you should be encouraged. We should be encouraged at Scum of the Earth, because one woman who once worked a dust job has quit to become a gardener, and she fills her hands full of dirt and works in the soil. And we should be encouraged because one man is now a community barber, and as he cuts, trims, and shaves, he develops meaningful relationships. One woman created her major, so it included film and music. Many men and women are in bands, creating songs. They're on stage in this town and others. Our children paint and draw and cut and color and act out scenes from Star Wars. Someone gets their Ph.D. Someone becomes a brain surgeon. Someone else is the VP of a very successful business. And someone works at Starbucks while they think and mull over this message and ask God in the meantime to fill them with joy and gratitude for having a job. These examples all do come from scum-of-the-earth folks. We're answering our calls one person at a time, and it's not really late for anybody. But I think, if we're really honest, that it is scary for everybody. Ecclesiastes 11.6 says, Plant your seed in the morning, and at evening let your hands not be idle. For you do not know which seed will succeed, whether it's this one or that, or whether both will do equally well. I want to call up Connie to talk first, and then it'll be Evan and Mike. And Connie's just recently... um, Stopped working as a teacher to fulfill her dream of working in the arts. She's a singer and a craftsperson. So, can you share with us a little bit about what that transition has been like?
1: Uh, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, um, a couple of you know this because I was, I kind of had a panic attack last night and was up till 4 a.m looking on Oprah.com at what Susie Orman says how to get out of debt. <laughs> so that's where I am in this transition phase. Um, but, yeah, I literally, in June, I just quit my job. Um, it was my fourth year of teaching. And, and it was a really hard decision to make because it was something that uh, my parents were really proud of. Um, it was respectful respectable. Um, I had benefits and and a salary, and I gave all that up, moved back in with my parents um, literally just two weeks ago. So it's really scary. I don't regret it, but this is the first time in my life I haven't had a backup plan. <laughs> and so, um, I mean, I'm really excited about what's potentially in store for me, but, but it's definitely... Um, it's definitely a scary time in my life, and it's, and it's definitely important for me to, to remember that this is my calling even when I feel really discouraged and freaked out and looking on oprah.com at 4 a.m. in the morning.
0: Evan is going to come up because I recently asked him um, if he regretted going to school and I wanted him to talk to you about that. He just got done with, uh, or he's getting done with seminary here.
2: I'm not an artist. I like grid line paper and spreadsheets and things. And so um, I, I got out of school, uh, my undergrad degree. I moved to Dallas. My then-girlfriend and I um, both relocated to Dallas, we got married. Uh, I got a job with IBM. Um, I had the benefits and the four one k and all that kind of junk that i 'd been trained my whole life to get uh, and to go after and that would be my security and uh, i did and my wife had a full time job as well, so we had a couple of salaries, and I was well on my way to um, getting a beer belly and a Porsche and um, I had uh, all the while uh, that we were doing this, I knew God was calling me to go to seminary, um, not ministry necessarily, but just go to seminary, get uh, an education. I, I by no means think seminary is a prerequisite for ministry. I never did. I never do. I uh, don't feel that now. I just, I knew God was calling me to go to seminary, and I really didn't even know why. Um, so I think the, the one thing I want to say is that there's just, there's a difference, you know, between the lamp on your feet. Uh, and a spotlight out into the future, right? So the lamp goes, you know, a little bit. Uh, God was saying, go to seminary. That's the next step. That's what you need to do. That's what I want you to do, and I had no clue why um, I would have preferred the grid-lined paper and the, the spotlight in the future, but he didn't tell me that. Um, so there was some risk, um, you know, leaving work and uh, gainful employment to be a poor student, um, and there's been a lot of a lot of evenings in this process in the past few years where my wife and I have just kinda sat down in our little hallway in our apartment and just cried because we didn't know you know, we didn't know what was next. And uh God has blessed that. Um I don't I certainly don't have all the answers uh, now. I don't I don't really even really know what everything's gonna look like even in the next, you know, year or so. But um I don't know, I didn't plan out what I was gonna say, so it's not going too well. Um education preparation for you know what god will have you do next a lot of the time that is going to look like the lamp kind of deal uh you might not know what's after that but you know that this is the next step and so it's difficult to do that but um i found god does honor that um doesn't mean it's always easy or that your family or friends might you know not think you're stupid but um mine don't my family doesn't really think that but anyways um i'll shut up now but it's kind of the gist for me
0: And Mike is going to share with us pretty much what you shared this morning was great. I also want to say, because Mike can end it, and Stephen can come up here after Mike's done, but we're going to have prayer in the prayer room. If you um, have a stirring on your heart and you want someone to pray with you, please go to the prayer room and get some prayer about this. Um, We would love to pray with you.
3: So... When I was 20 years old, I was good at a lot of things. Um, I loved writing music, and I loved singing, and I loved uh, writing. I actually thought about a career in acting for a while, but was in school uh, to be a teacher, and Yet what I thought I really needed to do was, to switch my focus, I thought God was calling me into ministry at 20. So, so I did. And I really thought that it would happen the way it normally happens. You graduate, and within a couple years, you're full on into your, your field. I wanted to be, for lack of a better word, an artist of the soul. Um, I, uh. Yeah, I just get a great deal of gladness out of people coming closer to Jesus and finding their fulfillment in their life in Him. But for the most part, between twenty and forty, I, I did that part time or or volunteer. I was a teacher in high school a coach I sold stickers, uh, retail packaging supplies. I worked in a steel mill. I was a package car washer for the United Parcel Service (UPS). I sold airtime for a radio station and wrote commercials on the side. I'm forgetting some. I know. I was an advertising account executive, selling um, basically marketing for healthcare organizations flying hither thither and yon and uh, all the while doing what I really wanted to do this if you want to call it this desire to be an artist of the soul was was always placed after putting food in the table or paying the mortgage or you know raising the kids and um, it wasn't until it got to the point where I, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I, it was like a, a study in diminishing returns where I would go out and I'd work for eight hours and I'd make less money and less money and less money because I was in sales. And I couldn't do it. And, and finally, uh, in desperation, I went on uh, extended f- prayer and fasting period and the Lord years later, opened up a door for me to go to seminary, and I took it. Um, you've heard me talk about that kind of thing in other sermons. But I just want to say that if you're an artist of any sort and you're worried about doing your job full-time, you don't have to, like Leonor said. You can fulfill your calling, maybe even for more than 20 years by doing it after work, early in the morning, late at night, on weekends. And when the time is right, I believe that God will open a door if he wants you to do it full time. And then it gets hard because, as she was saying about Stephen, there are months where we haven't gotten paid enough to pay the bills. But overall, God takes care of us where we're we're supposed to be, and I'm just very grateful to be here with you. So, are you going to close? Okay.
0: I actually had closed, but I will pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for every single person here. Thank you, God, that you know our names, that you call us by name. Thank you, Father God, that you have given us a place to explore our spirituality. Thank you, Father God, that this is a safe place and a place that values creativity. Father God, as a community, let us be exploring our, call, explore our callings together. We love you and we need you and we long to hear you very, very clearly and very loudly in our lives. You are awesome. Amen.